Hi, I'm Margot. Hey, I'm Abby. Thank you so much for joining us on the Anxiety Warriors podcast. We have anxiety and we believe that our anxious feelings make us stronger people. One of our superpowers is being open, loving, and curious with ourselves. Yeah, we're all just doing the best we can one moment at a time, one breath at a time. And we're so glad you're on this journey of life with us. Here's the show. Welcome back, warrior family. We are happy to be with you. I need to fix mine. <laughs> yeah, we need like new. We need a new line for you. Yeah, uh, just like it's a thing that comes, but but it's. I kind of I secretly love it just because it makes me laugh. I know me too, but it's not what I want. <laughs> Hello, family, warrior family. We're so glad that you're here with us this week. And every week. <laughs> and every week. You're right. Thank you for that add-on. Every single week, we're glad that you're here. Um, we are particularly excited because we spoke with a fabulous guest. Mm-hmm. Her name is Christine Iavelli. And before um, Abby jumps into a little bit of a recap of our convo, let me let everyone know just a little bit about who Christine is. Christina is a licensed mental health counselor in Florida. She specializes in treatment of anxiety and trauma. She's also a certified hypnotherapist. A fellow anxiety warrior, she struggled with anxiety most of her life. She was born and raised in Florida, and she currently lives in Lake Worth with her husband, Bryce, and their two boys, Charlie and Anthony. She used to work in addiction treatment centers and mental health clinics, but now works at home, so she's able to spend more time with her family. She is passionate about helping others with their mental health. So, Abby, tell us a little bit about this convo. Yeah. So like I say, every week, this was a super fun conversation. Um, Christine starts off by sharing how as a child, she didn't know she had anxiety um, and that she was basically told she was lactose intolerant. Uh, She shares how her anxiety started to manifest more in college uh, with her swinging between this need to control everything in her life, including her food intake. Um, to then using alcohol to let go of that control. And it was when she finally entered the mental health field that she realized that her anxiety was impacting her life. Um, And then she got the help that she needed. And this help also helped her uh, when she started to experience postpartum anxiety after having her first child. Um, What was really interesting in this conversation is also how she speaks about using anxiety as a motivator. It's like this big energetic uh, force that propels her to do the things even though uh, the fear is there with it. Um, And this was just like a really empowering story um, about how she finds a way to be her own cheerleader on her anxiety journey. Yes, such a great conversation. We cannot wait for all you warriors to hear it. Here she is. Welcome back, warrior family. We are joined by Christine. Christine, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Yay. Yay. We are thrilled to have you. Um, we know that you're really close friends with one of our former guests, Zena Minkara. Yes, so she hooked this up and we're really excited to learn more about you and what you do and um, your anxiety journey. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about how anxiety shows up in your life. How it shows up in my life. Well, I would say I've had anxiety since I was a child. I didn't know it was anxiety, um, but it's definitely showed up for me from a very young age. 
it's, it's definitely been one of those comfort things where it's like, it's just always like driven me no matter what phase of life I've been in. It's just very comfortable. And I know a lot of people can probably relate to that. It's like when there's no, when everything's peaceful, it's like, it doesn't seem right. So anxiety is definitely something that drives me um, throughout my life for sure. I love that you said that, right? Because I think so, so often, like when we talk about anxiety, we talk about like all the challenges, right. And all the discomfort, right. And once in a while, like we've had guests say, like, it's like comfortably uncomfortable, right. Uh It's It's familiar. Yeah. And, and, and yet there's this like beautiful thing that you said where anxiety actually like drives you and motivates you. And so can you share a little bit more about that? Because sometimes we hear how anxiety holds us back. Right. And so how does anxiety drive you? Well, and I think this is a perception that I've gotten over the years. So before it was like, ah, anxiety is bad. And it just felt really uncomfortable. And I felt really awkward. But I would say as I've lived my life, experienced things, I see it more as a a tool, like, okay, it's there, I can either embrace it and just roll with it. And maybe it'll help me get spiked or excited to do something, or I can see it as this enemy and this bad thing that I should be embarrassed about. So even, you know, preparing for this podcast, I'm like, Oh my God, I can feel my anxiety kicking up. Like my stomach's starting to get nervous, but I'm like, no, this is good. This is energy I'm bringing. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely, um, a better perspective than seeing it as the enemy, because let's face it, we all have it. Like we're anxiety warriors and we're going to live with it. So might as well embrace it. (laughs) Right. So it's like the, the noticing it and then using it because it, it is energy and it's super strong. Right. And so it's so strong. Like sometimes it like knocks us on our ass, right? Like sometimes we're like laying on the floor, like I can't handle this, or I think I can't handle it. Right. And, and instead this reframe of like, okay, I'm noticing all this. Let me put all of that energy forward to what I want to do. Totally. Um, I have, I have one more question. So it's so common in so many of um, our, our conversations with our guests that they've had anxiety since childhood and they um, noticed something was wrong or different or uncomfortable or whatever, but they didn't know they had anxiety. Mm-hmm. So will you share a little bit about when you found out like when you figured out, Oh, all these things are. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So when I was a kid, I was like going into the nurse a lot at school. I felt like I couldn't swallow food. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and all of that was anxiety, but I thought, I mean, even the nurse was like, Oh, you have lactose intolerance. So they, they prevented me from having like milk at school. And that was an elementary school. And so I was like, okay, you know, they know better than I do. My parents never (laughs) said, Oh, this is anxiety. So I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I just felt uncomfortable. My throat felt tight and all this. Anyways, so yeah, I just always felt like this anxious feeling and uncomfortability. And I would often think it was like some sort of a medical thing. So I go to the nurse, but um, when I really figured out it was anxiety, I was like kind of Googling things when I was in, I would say late high school to early college and going, Oh my God, like this is me. Like I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to know 
that there's something like that there's like a diagnosis or these symptoms are, are something that other people experience. So it was kind of nice. It's like, finally, I figured out what it was. So it wasn't <laughs> yes. this like, just, whoa, I'm just being swept up by it. It's like, oh, this is it. And yeah. so that was really helpful. I remember being like, Hey, dad, mom, I think I have this anxiety <laughs> stuff. And they're like, Oh, well, Christine, we have anxiety too. Like we've had it all our lives. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> this wasn't all so. lactose intolerance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <what>? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. That's so funny. <clears throat> you know, I, um, you had, you had said in our call that like your family, when you told your family, oh, this is what I've been dealing with my whole life. You always said that you, or you had told me, you said that the worry, like the constant worry in your household and like the, yeah. the energy and scattered busyness of your, of your household yeah. was your norm. And so yeah. you just assumed like all families must be like this. All families yeah. must have this anxiety that your again, your parents didn't give you that language. And then once you realize, Hey, look, mom and dad, I have what's known as anxiety. They were like, Oh, we've had that. It's like, well, why didn't you talk to me about that? Exactly. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Even like some of my closest friends, I, I like looking back, I'm like, I'd go over to their house and they wouldn't have any plan. And it mm -hmm. would just be like hanging out. I'm like, what? It was like so uncomfortable for me because we always had like a list of like to-do lists and here's the next thing, just very busy people and action oriented and just getting things done. And then like hanging out and just relaxing was like, really weird. I'm like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Like, what's the time frame? Like, <laughs> so that those are the type of moments that I realized like, Oh, okay. Not every family operates in this like major, um, kind of task master mode all the time. Yes. So it was kind of a big realization. <laughs> you, you just gave me a huge aha moment from like college. And there was one family I would always hang out with on the weekends and they were always go, 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 go. And for me, that was a little bit foreign. Like I couldn't be, it was so draining. Yeah. And like, I just had the aha moment, like, oh wait, they were probably an, an entire anxious family. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. My family had a lot of energy too. We were, I don't know that we were as like structured in terms of like, here's the list of things. <laughs> yeah. I think that my mom always had that running ticker of like, here are all the things that we have to do and get done. She was definitely more of the anxious one. Um, but it, I feel like it wasn't an aha moment, but I was just reflecting in my own head about like kids' houses I went to and how, just how different they were from my house. Right. And so just getting that window, regardless mm -hmm. of anxiety, getting that window into how other families sort of operate, how yeah. they're, what their day-to-day -day feels like. Like one of my best friends from childhood, she, her family was so quiet. They, <laughs> they just didn't really <laughs> talk to one another. And the dinner table was like, torture for me because oh. like, my dinner table was like, whoa, whoa, like everyone's talking and chatting and laughing and it's story over here and music in the background. And her house was just like gentle music playing and everyone's <laughs> and no one's really talking. I'm like, oh my God, when can I leave? When can I get out? <laughs> so yeah, it's just so interesting to think about how our families impacted just, just the way we view, just the way children learn to view the world. Yes, absolutely. From such a young age. So all right, Christine. So share with us a little bit more um, about how anxiety shows up in your mind, body and behaviors. You had told this really interesting story. Uh, you mentioned just now about heading into the nurse's office quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, you told this very interesting story in our call about having that lump in your throat sensation and you kind of yeah. drew it back to this one experience that you had. Can you just share with our listeners a little bit more about yeah. that? 
absolutely. So when I was a kid, I don't remember the exact time frame or exactly when, but I was at a friend's house. I was pretty young. Um, and I had a choking experience or I choked on a piece of steak and it was like really traumatizing for me. And her like father had to jump over the table and like do the Heimlich and all this. And so after that, I had serious fears about like swallowing food to the point where I would eat like nothing. I swear to you, then like mashed potatoes and gravy um, and like soft, anything soft food. So I would chew everything like to like, make sure it was soft before I would chew, swallow it. Cause I was afraid to choke. Mm-hmm. And that went on for like many years. And I'm just looking back and I'm like, God, like, I wish I would have gotten some sort of help for that. You know, like, what do you think that, but my parents like never said like, Oh, let's take you to like a therapist or anything like that. So I just kind of dealt with it and just sort of pushed through it and eventually started feeling more comfortable. But it's yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's those like moments. I mean, I remember I choked on a carrot when I was like four or five and like, even to this day, every time I see a carrot, I think about choking, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I'll still eat the carrot, but, but those, those moments really stay with you. Yeah. Um, what, what led you to start like not just eating mashed potatoes? Like when was that like, like, was there a delicious food you were like, I got to eat this? Or were you like, I'm tired of just eating mashed potatoes or you kind of forgot about the fear of choking or. Uh, I I think it was me pushing myself to like relax about it. And, but it wasn't any sort of formal like moment. It was just like, I'm yeah, I'm kind of like sick of this. I'm going to try to get better and start eating better. And it eventually got better, but yeah, it was like really kind of like getting underweight. And I remember like Mm. my doctor, the pediatrician being like, Oh, like, yeah, she's a little underweight. She needs to eat better. And so that was kind of a motivator too. And yeah, just eventually getting more comfortable with it. But right. again, and I never got any formal help for that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Which is, which is, I mean, it is really crazy how, I mean, especially like at around our ages growing up, like it was like, just get over it. You're fine. Right. It's like, right. Um, actually yeah. My nervous system is not fine with this. Um, but yeah. I also just wonder, like, you know, one of, one of the reflections from the grownups was like, oh, you're lactose intolerant. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like the doctor saying you're underweight. And I'm just wondering, like, what are all the different messages the grownups were giving you since they totally were missing the piece about this being like anxiety, you know? Absolutely. And I just like was very somatic, like really focused on physical things. I remember watching like a video about like smoking and I think it was in high school and like the causes of how it affects your lungs and all that. And then I started having like anxiety about breathing yes. and like difficulty breathing. So I think, you know, in the, in the beginning phases of my anxiety journey per se, it was just like all physical feelings. And I just mm-hmm. didn't know that that was anxiety. I just didn't put two and two together because other people weren't telling me it was anxiety. Uh, professionals weren't, you know, pointing it out or, or checking on it, which I think today, um, you know, the awareness of mental health symptoms are like so much better, which I think is amazing. Like your podcast is amazing because there's so <laughs> many people here who are going to watch these episodes or listen to these episodes and go, Oh, that's me. Oh, mm-hmm. that is anxiety too. You know, I just love that. I wish that back in the day when we were younger, that it, there was more of an awareness of it instead of us thinking like, I can't breathe. I have breathing issues or yes, I have choking right. issues or, you know, tension issues. So it's the awareness is getting better, I think, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I really, you know, 
I just think it's so important that as children, when we're seeking help for to adults and, and the yeah. message is like, again, I'm just, I find it hysterical that you were told you have your lactose intolerant. Like that is so <laughs> funny to me um, yeah. in a not funny way. Right. Um, but, but, you know, now we have all this stuff, like what you said, like you figured out there's nothing wrong with you by Google. Right. And so, yeah. you know, we're getting a lot more information in, in mental health, but just how powerful grownups are, um, yes. when they're, when they're with kids and kids are trying to figure out what is wrong with me. Right. right. And it's just, it's a lot of power grownups hold. And it's possible yeah. too. Like you had that traumatic experience with a steak at your friend's house. And it's like, was that I'm guessing, I'm guessing that was never labeled as trauma, right. For you, at least not in that moment. Right. And so like, just for everyone listening to just reflect on so many of the things that we went through as children or, or any, any points in our life yeah. that could be considered traumatic, especially mm -hmm. in, you know, a non-fully developed brain, mm -hmm. um, will have a lasting impact on you. Right. It's yeah. just like, imagine the little things I know for me, and yes, it's true that yeah. we're anxiety warriors. So we feel things maybe a little bit more fully or deeply than some people. But like, if I have just like the slightest little, you know, let's say for example, I'm driving and I'm getting really close to the bumper in front of me and maybe I'm distracted and, oh my gosh, I have to slam on my brake. And I come within like a couple inches of the bumper in front of me and, and immediately my brain goes to, oh my God, what would have happened just yes. now? And then I'm thinking about all that, even though nothing happened, everything's fine. My head just immediately goes to, I could have been killed. I could have been, I could have died. I could have, I would have been stuck in yeah. this road. It's raining. Like there would have been a million things going on in my head. Right. And so mm -hmm. like, and that would sit with me for a good few weeks yes. while I'd be driving. Yes. Right. And so that I feel like just the concept of traumatic experiences needs to be sort of taught to children, taught mm -hmm. to everyone at any age, you can get it right. But especially for young children, for you, I can't imagine how it couldn't have been helpful for you to learn that what you went through with that choking experience was very scary, that yeah. that must've been terrifying. Like, let's, let's talk about it. Let's have yeah. a conversation exactly. about it. Right. Like how might yeah. that have changed all those years? I mean, I know you didn't just eat mashed potatoes for years, but like <laughs> maybe, you know, and, and Abby just said she sees a carrot and still has a reflex. Like, mm -hmm. And just a side note, I worked, I mean, I work in early childhood still, but I worked in early childhood as a teacher for a decade and, you know, uncooked carrots, oh, that's gosh. not allowed in schools. Yeah. Yeah. We were not allowed to serve that to our right. to the students because there are hot so many more choking hazards. Hot that, dogs too. Now, hot dog. Yeah. Yep. There, there's a lot that you would be surprised about actually that it's, <laughs> I mean, hot dogs to me, that's not that surprising in a school <laughs> or in an early childhood school, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. And you're making me think about my kids now too. So it's like, I don't want to project my anxiety on them. Yes. That's part of my anxiety journey. So it's like when my kids are eating foods, like I'm like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I just have to watch myself because mm -hmm. that anxiety I had with my choking experience can, you know, be passed down to my, my kids. Absolutely. And so I'm like chopping his hot dogs into like tiny little morsels, you know, things <laughs> like that. I'm just, yeah, it's, it's scary. And he did have one choking incident that was pretty scary, but we got through it. Um, but it's like, I'm the adult now I need to be the one that is helping him and supporting him. So yeah. that's one big motivator for me is to really like help him with his anxiety instead of getting carried away with my own. Like I want to yeah. be able to support him and see the signs with him. I, I love that. You're like, I can't put my anxiety on my kid, right? Like that's my story. And now my kid can have their own story. That's, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't want to teach them to be afraid to eat or chew mm -hmm. or yeah, 
right? Yeah. But that's so hard. Let's just acknowledge that that's yeah. really hard yeah. too, right? <laughs> it's hard to not project your own fears or and anxieties that you cope with every day, let's be honest, mm-hmm. um, out on the people around you, not just your children, but just the people in, that share a space with you or that yeah. you work with or whomever. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, kind of keeping on with like the body and stuff in our call, you shared that, that you had like this interesting pattern that you noticed showing up starting in your uh, college days when it came to food first and then alcohol later on. So just share with our listeners a little bit about this time of your life. I feel like so many people can relate to this. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, when I was in college, the transition was really hard. That's one thing I'll say first and foremost, like, and I'm sure a lot of anxiety warriors can relate. Anything that change is like, ah, terrifying. So going to college was extremely scary for me. And that's when I started, um, to, I guess, utilize like food as like a coping skill, like a negative coping skill. So, my, and I'm a therapist by the way, so you guys know, so I'll use like the therapy terms, coping skills and all this, but you know, it it was, it was a coping mechanism for me. And my friend was a personal trainer. And so I was like, got all excited about that. And so I started losing weight and like eating healthier. And I was like, I got like really obsessed with it. It was like a high that was like, Oh wow. Like every time I got on the scale and I would, you know, lose a couple pounds. And so it turned into this eating disorder where I would literally count every single calorie, including Mm. like gum and grapes. I mean, it was so bad. And looking back, I'm like, how did I function like that? Like that was so unhealthy. And my whole life was consumed by it. Like every moment of the day, like it has no room for people in my life. It it was all like all consuming. So it, it, it was, it was really bad. Um, and the same with the alcohol kind of getting bad too, but it it started with the eating and I did get to a breaking point with that where I was in, I believe it was in my master's program for mental health. Mm -hmm. And I'm like learning about eating disorders. I'm like, check, check, check. Like, this is all me. (laughs) Like I'm learning once again, that these problems are going on for me. And I, you know, was realizing like a big part of you know, mental health issues is like, how is it impacting your functioning? You know, that's what you look mm-hmm. at it. If it doesn't impact your functioning, it's fine. <laughs> but guess what? I was not eating, um, dinners with my family because I couldn't count the calories in the food. So I told my wow. husband with my mother-in-law and my husband's, you know, parents, I'm like, I just can't like, I'm sorry. Um, we got to do something else. And I didn't tell them because of the calorie thing. I just told Bryce, I'm like, I'm not doing that. And that was a moment for me where I'm like, wow, that's really bad. It's affecting my relationships with other people. Like this cannot go on. Wow. Wow. So I really was at that point. Um, like I need to change things. I got to that breaking point and changed. Um, but then little alcohol kind of creeped in. So I had drank a little bit in college, my family history, my mom's an alcoholic. So I always had that fear. Like, I don't want to become her. She has the alcohol issue. Um, so I didn't drink at all up until college. And then I slowly drank a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I think after the eating disorder got better, um, it was like, I had to jump to something else to obsess about because I've always like operated on obsession because it's like, then there's no ambiguity. It's like, I'm focused on like the one thing that's going to make things better. If, if I eat perfectly, then everything's fine. You know, it's like, no, that's not the truth. In fact, it caused more anxiety than it helped. But, um, with the alcohol, it's like, Oh, I'm drinking. It makes me feel better. Okay. When's my next event to go out and and Mm. drink. And 
it got to the point where, you know, I was blacking out and I was feeling totally out of control, like ashamed. It was scary. So I'm like, okay, this one thing that was supposed to help my anxiety is now making my anxiety worse because I'm terrified that I lost control. And I don't remember Mm. what happened to the, you know, the night before. Um, so again, it, it was another breaking point that I got to with the alcohol. And I reached out to a friend, um, because I worked in a rehab center and she, you know, I said, Hey, you know, I have, I'm, I'm interested in uh, a meeting. Do you know any, any good women's like AA meetings mm-hmm. in, in your area? And she's like, is this for a client, Christina, or is it for you? I'm like, it's for me. <laughs> and she's like, absolutely. Like, let's, let's get you connected. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just so grateful that I was in the mental health field, you know, getting my master's degree, going into the line of work that I did, because honestly, a lot of stuff I don't think I would have realized unless it was like in my face. Right. Right. It's like, Oh, I can relate with these people. This is so much like me. And then it's like slowly, but surely I I gained that awareness of like, Oh, I have these issues. And it wasn't, you know, bad because I had so much support and people that I work with that were in recovery in the recovery community. Um, so then I was able to get help for that. So it's just, yeah, it's just crazy how it morphed from like one thing to another. And it's like, I I call it the whack-a-mole thing where it's like, you have one thing that you you're dealing with or struggling with, and then, you know, you hit that down. Okay. That's better. And then something else pops up. So I just, I feel like anxiety just shows up in so many areas and, and so many different unhealthy coping that you just Mm -hmm. have to be aware of of those things. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, I just really love how like you getting into mental health is what ultimately helped you with yours. You had this, like all of a sudden there's this knowledge place in front of you and there's this self-reflection of like, Oh wait, this sounds like me. Oh, this sounds like me. And because you are for mental health and like going into the mental health field, you didn't have the barriers, you know, for like asking for help, which is so huge. So Um, awesome. The other thing that like I heard in this story of like food and alcohol was like, I saw it as like a pendulum as you talked about it. And first it was like the hyper, super controlling side because anxiety likes to be in control, Mm -hmm. right? That controlling side of like the calories and the food intake and the working out and the the weight, right? The losing weight. And then it just like swung to the no, now I'm going to have alcohol and enjoy (laughs) the feeling of alcohol and just be out of control and feel how horrible it feels to be out of control. Right. And so I heard this like pendulum of like going from one extreme of like control to the other of like no control, right. Losing. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's just, I feel like so many, I feel like so many people can just relate to that. It's like, we replace one habit with another, but sometimes we're so like, no, I don't want to be like that anymore. We go to the other extreme. It, oh, absolutely. That is like a hundred percent me. <laughs> it's like all or nothing, right? Yes. It's like, you can't find that middle ground. No. Yeah. That balance is so hard to strike. And I love the, the beautiful visual of that Abby, right. Of just the pendulum, right. It's, and I didn't, oh, I didn't come up with the visual, but right. My head kind of went to that same thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's very nitpicky and it's regimented and it's focused. And then it's like, well, I need to do the opposite of that because that wasn't working for me. So I'm going to be loose and, you know, just see what it feels like to let go completely. Um, I really feel like this is going to 
this is going to be a great kicking off point for the next question, which is you mentioned just now and in our call um, that it often takes you to reaching the breaking point, Mm -hmm. like the brink Mm -hmm. before you do anything about it or make any changes. So I know that this is relatable for so many warriors. Um, What does reaching the brink feel like or look like for you? And then what drives you in the long run to make a change or what drove you? Uh, That's a good question. So I think for breaking point, at least with my eating issues was the impact that it was having on my relationships. Mm. So, you know, it's one thing if like, it's my stuff, but now it's starting to leak into my, my family life. And I realized just how much the alcohol, the, the eating issues, like the anxiety was really impacting my family. Like I can honestly say that it, was a huge like barrier in front of me. And it was like, it was all about that. And I didn't even see the people around me. And I shared this story in my recovery story with alcohol, um, that it really became an obsession where it's like nothing else mattered, Mm -hmm. which is really scary that, that, you know, your issues can, um, come out like that. Cause when I was obsessing over this and that, it's like, it was not, I wasn't focused on other people. It's like, I was consumed by that. Once I realized that and relationships improving, I could see that now I'm present with people that I care about, Mm. uh, that I don't have this like monkey on my back or this obsession in my head. Like I can clearly talk to people and get on their level and I could actually feel my feelings and express my feelings. I, I could have real conversations and just sit with my anxiety and express it and share it. It's just so such a better way of living. Like I, I just, not that I'm perfect. Of course I still have anxiety issues, but the, the change was like, wow, like I need to connect more with, with people. And I need to not be like isolated in this like cycle of obsession. It was just like, I felt like a, like a trap, like a trapped yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, so now I think I would say that was a breaking point is just like feeling trapped, feeling isolated, feeling stuck in my head and the breaking point of realizing like, I don't want to live that way. I just don't like, I want to be connected with the people that I love. Like that's, what's most important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really sounds like, like you said, like there was a barrier up between you and the people you love, but it also sounds like there was like a barrier between you and yourself because you said like, I could finally feel my feelings. Right. And so like, right. So it's like, sounds so like, like inner and outer loneliness because the anxiety was driving all of these different behaviors and obsessions. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Christine. Um, All right, let's move on to some of the ways that you like to or that work for you as far as coping with dealing with your anxiety. So uh, coping wise, I see a therapist. So that's um, super helpful. One thing that I realized like with my postpartum journey and having, you know, babies is I had a lot of postpartum anxiety with my first son. So this time around, I was like, I'm not playing around. Like I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I don't go into like a bad place. So I, it's like you, you have that awareness of where you can go and like the coping skills that you need in order to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was the therapy. It was, um, just taking a moment, even if it's just in the shower and like breathing and I have this like aromatherapy spray and I just love it. It's just like the scent <laughs> of it is just so soothing. Like I can feel it like wash over me and I do prayer in my shower and my husband will come to the shower. Tom sounds, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm praying, like, give me a minute here. <laughs> So I do that. 
<clears throat> I go to meetings. I have a sponsor in AA. She's super awesome. She's also an anxiety warrior. And just talking with her and sharing with her about my anxiety, I'm like, we're literally the same person. It's mm -hmm. it's crazy how similar we are. Um, and then just even like just sitting in the moment with my kids, just being mindful. Um, I honestly can say like my kids have helped me because my family life was so rigid and all about like next thing, next thing, like mm -hmm. task oriented with my kids. They're like amazing. They're just so exuberant and all over the place. So it's like just sitting in that moment and like playing with them mm -hmm. and not caring like what we're doing next. There's no schedule. It's like just being in the moment. Um, that mindfulness stuff like really works. And I, that anxiety goes away when I'm just having fun with my kid and just not at all in my head. It's like kids have such an easy time with that, that it's like, I can learn so much from them. It's like, I wish I could take that, you know, crazy stuff I'm thinking about in my head and just let it go and just be in that kid like place. So right. I learn a lot from them as well. So I would say those are the, the biggest things that help me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love, I love everything that you said, but, but I want to hit on like one very specific thing, which you, you said postpartum anxiety, and, um, I'm starting to hear about that more and more, but I just find it super yeah. interesting that, you know, we hear about postpartum depression all the time. I mean, not all the time, but that's more something yeah. we hear about and less about postpartum anxiety. And so can you just share like a teeny bit about about that and how that is yeah. different than postpartum depression, if, yeah, if sure. you can. <laughs> yeah, no, for me, um, postpartum anxiety, it's like anxiety is normal when you have a new child, like it's, it's very healthy um, to have a little bit of anxiety, but when it gets to, at least for me, it got to a point where I would like, obsess over everything. Oh my God. Like, is he okay? Um, I tracked every poop and everything. Mm -hmm. I would obsess over how many ounces he was getting. What if he's not getting enough? It's just told, I was totally consumed by like fear and, yeah. and just, I wouldn't want other people to hold him. And it's mm -hmm. like, when it gets to that level, it's not healthy, you know? Yeah. And, and I had to get on medications. Um, that's another thing I didn't mention coping wise. Mm -hmm. I had to get on medication for that. And that made a huge difference. I went into therapy um, with my first son. Um, that was the first time I actually went into therapy. Like I'm a therapist and I never went into therapy really until then. So it's like, I'm so grateful that I had that experience yeah. and that I got help for it. And, and this second time around, I have a four month old. Like I was like, I'm doing this like right away because mm -hmm. I don't want to go to that place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the postpartum anxiety. It's like just overblown fears, like having catastrophic thinking about mm -hmm. your baby and something horrible happening. And there's like different types of postpartum anxiety too. There's like postpartum OCD and, and different oh, things wow. like that as well. I don't think I had so much of that, but yeah, it was, it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds very intense. I, yeah. yeah, that's not, I mean, especially if you were already an anxiety warrior and now you're <laughs> Now you're literally taking care of small children and their lives are literally in your hands. And so of course that's going to heighten your anxiety. Oh, yeah. So yeah. It just, it just seems logical to me while yeah. not fun, I guess, but logical. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it's wonderful that you were able to a learn from your first pregnancy and your experience yeah. of postpartum anxiety after that. And then here you are four months in four month old. And Doing it. Like, I got all the things I have yeah. all the tools. And sometimes that's that's so great. Like, I just, that's so wonderful to, to hear from. That's why we love doing this because 
we just have the opportunity to talk to so many people who have learned so much about themselves or are in the process of learning so much about themselves. Um, and more information can hopefully only uh, serve to help. So, um, and I love to, uh, if I could just head on quickly, I love that you brought up some of the little joys that I think so many times when we ask this question, people go straight for like the, I do, you know, daily yoga or those things are great. Right. Or I make sure I do. Um, I talk to my therapist. Like, again, those are wonderful things that we think everyone should be doing at least sometimes. Um, but I love that you brought up just like aromatherapy in the shower. It's like, yeah, those little things that Mm. really just bring you joy that might serve to soothe. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Especially like when that. you have a busy life and you have kids running around, like you can't set aside. I couldn't set aside to do yoga every day. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I would yeah. love to, but you got to sit my brain where you can. <laughs> just my brain went in the example, but like, yeah, I mean, we, you wind up hearing or people sometimes they feel like they, they want to share like the really obvious good things that they do to cope with their anxiety. And so I love when our guests share things like watch Netflix yeah, <laughs> because it just Absolutely. feels so honest. It yeah. Just feels so honest. Um, all right. So what would you say your relationship is to your anxiety right now? I would say my relationship is much better than it used to be. Like I understand it's a thing that I have. I try to embrace it more and understand and have more compassion for myself and knowing that, man, like you have this anxiety, but it doesn't have to own you. Like I can feel the sensations in my body, even like in this interview, it's like, I feel a little sweaty under my armpits, you know, like I feel oh, a little like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, Whoa, it's getting hot here. I know it's my anxiety, but instead of like being ashamed of it now, I'm more like, okay, this is all right. Like these people are, I'm in good company. They know what it's going on. They're experiencing it too. So it's less of this like shameful thing. Hmm. And my relationship is much more embracing and going, okay, I don't want you to take over me, but you're not going to take me down. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want you to take, but it's okay to experience you. Like some level of anxiety is good. It's a motivator. I remember being in college and going, wow, like they were talking about like test anxiety and like a certain amount of anxiety is important because it actually motivates you because if you have no anxiety, you don't care about the test. You're not going to study for it. And then it gets to a point where it's like, whoa, it's like way up here. And then you can't even think straight. So I try to see it as like, okay, anxiety and moderation is actually pretty cool and it's okay. Yeah. Which is like bringing it back to the pendulum. It's like, you found your balance in your relationship to anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So good. So good. I love that, that, I mean, you've talked about this the whole time or you bounced around it the whole time, which is like how anxiety is a motivator. It can be a motivator. It can be a tool. Yeah. So it's just, it feels very empowering when you talk about it that way. Yeah. Um, all right. So you could go back in time and visit yourself. What kind of advice would you give her? I would say it's okay. And that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, that your insecurities and your fears are so, so okay. And so normal and you don't have to hide and you don't have to be fearful and be embarrassed. Like, I wish I would have known those things, you know, that I can be myself. I can say what I want. I can be goofy. I can be silly. I can be awkward and that's all okay. Like I just so badly wish that little girl knew that. And she did not Like she really did not Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say. And, and just learning, you know, and being in the mental health field and meeting other people like you guys, or it's like, I hear my story over and over and over again. And it's like, it's such a validation that like, I'm not alone. And that this thing is, 
it's kind of part of the human experience and it's, it's not something to be ashamed of. So I was just very ashamed and I wish I would have known there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like what you're experiencing is not necessarily normal per se, but it's, it's so relatable and a lot of people struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully, beautifully said. All right. Last question before we have some fun and lightning round. Lightning round. (laughs) Get ready, lady. Okay. Um, What does being an anxiety warrior mean to you? What does an anxiety warrior? It means just doing it every day and just pushing through and knowing that it doesn't have to take you over. Um, and, and it's like facing each situation and, and saying, I can do this. Um, and just being your own cheerleader, reaching out to other anxiety warriors and just knowing that I can tackle things. My anxiety is not me. I have anxiety, but it doesn't have to own you and it doesn't have to prevent you from living your life. Like if I had let my anxiety live my, you know, if I live my life by what my anxiety told me to do, I wouldn't do anything. I would literally (laughs) sit on my couch and watch Netflix. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be talking to you guys on this. No way. (laughs) So it's like, I definitely think it's about pushing through that fear and doing what you want to do, like at your core, what's important to you and not letting your anxiety prevent that. And I can still carry it along and, and do all the things I want to do. I love it. So good. I love that image of the cheerleader, you know, like the cheerleading warrior. (laughs) I've got to be aggressive, be assertive, assertive. That's right. Assertive. Be assertive. <laughs> what would our anxiety word cheerleading uniform look like? I feel like we need to like work this out in our yeah, head. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we obviously do. would have our colors purple and teal, but <laughs> not sure how they'd line up anyway. All right. Thank you so much for giving us so much delicious insight into who you are and um, mm-hmm. sharing very relatable things that and uh, tools for our warriors to hopefully be able to hold on to and maybe even try for themselves. So, are you ready for the lightning round? <laughs> okay. okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, I can't do that. <laughs> you got this, Christine. Okay. So Abby and I are going to go back and forth. We're each going to ask you a, just a fun, silly, lighthearted, get to know Christine type question. And you can take a pause, take a beat before you answer. You do not need to rush into your answer. Okay. Um, and we're, it's just going to be a handful of questions and we'll have some fun. Sound good? Sounds good. You got it. Right. Okay. You going first or I'm going first? I'll go first. Okay. I'll go first this week. Okay. Christine, can you please deliver a quote that you love? Now it could be a quote from a movie, a song from, you know, a prayer journal or like whatever it is, something that either motivates you or makes you laugh or just like inspires you, lights you up, deliver a quote that you love. I'm horrible at remembering any kind of quotes or anything. Oh, good. Butcher a quote that you love. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, let's see. I don't know. Just in the simplicity of this quote, but it's like, feel the fear, but do it, do it anyways. Mm. Like I would say that because yeah, I just, I love the simplicity of that and knowing that like, yeah, you can feel your fears and just press on and it doesn't have to hold you back. So yeah, it's kind of boring, but I like that. No, I love it. Especially because it's like acknowledging it, right. It's not pretending it doesn't exist. It's like acknowledging the human side and not letting it hold you back. 
Love it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. One down. If you could teleport anywhere for a day, fiction or nonfiction, like you could, you know, teleport to a place in Europe or you could teleport to a place in a book or a movie or a TV show, where would you go and spend a day? I would say it would be Hawaii. Like that's always <laughs> been my, and that's another thing I should have said earlier with like coping stuff. I like to put backgrounds on like on YouTube mm. backgrounds of places in Hawaii is my thing. It's like the beautiful waves and the palm trees. And it's like, yeah, I just love that Hawaii vibe, the tiki yeah. relaxation, mm. just sipping on like a virgin for me, pina colada and just hanging out <laughs> by the beach is the best. You can't go wrong with any kind of pina colada. That's yeah. my opinion, but <laughs> I also feel like it's the right one. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. Sounds good. I love Hawaii. Hawaii is such a Yeah. Okay. If you were a car, which one would you be and why? Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> that's the goal. Oh, <laughs> uh, a car. I don't know that Barbie cars come into mind like that Ooh. little pink Jeep that yes. little pink Barbie Jeep like I love that as a kid and I remember zooming around the yard in it and <laughs> yes. I just I, I would I like had my cat ride next to me in it my cat buster and we just cruised around in that Barbie pink Jeep so I'll say that I love it I'm I so jealous it. I always <laughs> wanted that Jeep I, my yes. parents never got me that Jeep no nope. I, I just I wanted mean, actually, any you know car as a yeah. kid I didn't want to, it's like, I wanted it in theory, but I didn't actually want it. Cause like mm-hmm. all the warriors that have been listening to our show and Abby knows that like, I didn't start driving till I was in my early twenties. Cause I had a lot of anxiety around driving, but yeah. So I think in theory, I was like, Ooh, that's so cool. But then like, I think my parents, somehow they knew in the back of their brains, like she's never going to drive this thing. <laughs> so they made the right call actually. That sounds good. I like yeah. it. I like it. Um, if you could win a game show, any game show, game show from the nineties, game show from now, what game show would you want to be known for winning? Oh man. Maybe like the price is right or something. Yes. Like that. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Everybody go to with Bob Barker or new with whoever, I don't even know who's hosting. Is it Bob Drew Barker. Carey? Drew Carey, I think hosts now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bob Barker. Bob Barker. You gotta yeah. go with a win- you gotta go with OG. I mean, he was all yeah. about spaying and neutering your pets. <laughs> That's <What>? a good thing. <laughs> Bob Barker would say that at the end of every Price is Right. Oh, I did to be honest. I never watched the show. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, like, not literally never. Like, I saw yeah. it, like, three times. Oh, my gosh. All right. I, I grew up, like, watching I Price know. is Right. Adam did, too. He, my, my husband, he... I feel like most people around our age grew up watching it, especially yeah. when you were homesick from school. Yeah. It was like the go-to yes. was always on. I was like, I, I had my other. You always wanted to spin that wheel and you always knew you were going to get the dollar. You the know, wheel, the wheel was dope. I will say. Yeah. yeah. The wheel was dope. Okay. I'm actually going to riff. I'm going to screw my last question and riff <laughs> off of this question. So if you um, could have, if you could win, okay. Any amount of money just like a ridiculous amount of money, but you had to use it for only three things. Mm. Hmm. What would they be? Interesting. Okay. I would say college funds for my two boys. 
Uh, I can only use it for a few things. I would three say things. Pay- three oh, things. three things. Okay. So paying off my mortgage, I guess. God, this is so boring. College ones. <laughs> it's like, so this practical. Is so boring. All right. And my cool one, my cool one would be like an epic um, vacation, like a Hawaiian vacation where I got like the spa and all that relaxation and hiking and all of that. Just like the Hawaii, like to the max. You could own a home. You could choose to own a home there. Oh, I said any amount well, of money. Well, shoot, then yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll just buy myself a compound, my a compound yes. in Hawaii, and and just you know have like a masseuse on deck. Yes, in the house. There you go. Be we took it to the next level. I like that. You better. weren't thinking broad enough. <laughs> I <guess> like, <laughs> go with the practicality. I'm with you there. That makes sense <laughs> to me. But then, like, you're not just gonna go on a one-time vacation to Hawaii. No, no, you're gonna own parts of Hawaii. No, that's even better. There you go. I like it. Thank you for upgrading me on that. <laughs> I love it too. We all need to, <laughs> we all need to dream bigger, people. That's that's what I'm learning these days. Yeah. All right. So all right. Good. So last, last question. question. So um, what was your favorite theme song, TV show theme song growing up? It could be, it was also your favorite TV show. Growing up would be I Love Lucy. I love that show. Me too. Obsessed. Such a good I was show. so into it. And that was like my little, like before bed, I would put the timer on my TV and I would just let the, I love Lucy runs Aww. on there. I, I feel I like I'm that. looking in a mirror right now because I legit did that exact <laughs> same thing. Oh my thing, God. Christine. Nick at like, night. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and I watched, I didn't watch cartoons as a kid. I didn't watch kids shows. I watched old shows with my mom, Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, Taxi. Yes. I love Lucy Rhoda. I mean, all of that, that was my childhood. So absolutely. There's something so comforting about those old shows. And just the other day I found these, like, um, I love Lucy postcards. Like my son found them in my pile of stuff. And I was like looking through them. I'm like, Oh, I got these at like universal studios when I was a kid. I was like, so pumped for the, I love Lucy (laughs) Postcards. Oh wow! I love it. <laughs> My heart is just smiling right now. It's crazy. I, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone else that did that exact thing as a child. So I'm like, that's awesome. Very seen. I love it. <laughs> All right, before Woo-hoo! we let you go, that was so good. Before we let you go, do you have a win of the week to share? Win of the week. Okay. Big or Probably. small. I would say this morning. So, um, part of my postpartum anxiety stuff is all about sleep and kids sleeping. And are they going to sleep on time? And when are they going to wake up? Like it's like the control issue there. My little one woke up this morning at 5am, which normally would have put me in like a tailspin. I would have freaked out, but I just like rolled with it. And I like Mm. took over and I took care of the baby. And, you know, I just like was able to have a good day and, and it led to this. And I had a great conversation with you guys. So one of the biggest things for me, it's like my catastrophic thinking says, Oh my God, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to explode. No, I'm not. I'm fine. And I had a great day. So it's like when I can have moments where, you know, I feel out of control because of some circumstance, whether it's my kids or whatever. And I could wake up, deal with it, face the day and still be okay. Like that's a win for me for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. Such a good win. I love the, I love when wins are seemingly small. You know, but they're so huge. But they're so huge. <laughs> Your whole day is not ruined. Like, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for uh, Christine for coming on the podcast. We had so much fun chatting yeah. with you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you this was a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. And um, if I could just help one person feel a little less like ashamed of their anxiety experience, like I think that 
would be awesome. So I appreciate yes. you guys. What you guys are doing is really, really awesome. So I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Woo, such a great conversation. I loved re-listening to our chat with Christine. She's just so sweet and down to earth. And she was just a very calming presence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She has I great totally energy. I could that. I think like I could see why people would want to be counseled by her. <laughs> yeah. You know, absolutely. she's just a very good energy. And she gets it, you know? Like right. when you totally. live the life, you it. get it. You get that empathy piece. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of our takeaways from this chat? Yeah. Well, you know, one of them for me is, um, you know, the story about how she choked, right. When she was Mm -hmm. eating, um, and how that like greatly impacted her and it changed her eating habits. Um, you know, it changed her relationship with food. Um, and, and yet like no one (laughs) was like, Hey, what happened all of a sudden? One day you're eating loads of foods and the next day you just want mashed potatoes. And, you know, for me, it's just like, it's again, that just reminder, like I say it all the time, but all behaviors communicating something, mm-hmm. right? And like that was communicating like a fear of eating and choking and dying or whatever. And um, I just feel like it's such an important reminder that when, when behavior changes quickly, um, you know, the people in that person's life, it's up to us to be like, Hey, what happened? Like, right. It's a warning sign. Yes. Like talk about it. Right. Don't ignore it. Don't assume it'll just pass. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does, but it's worth being acknowledged and trying to learn from that person to understand their experience. Especially if it's a child, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, and it may look, maybe the, maybe parents aren't always going to be the one, but I'm sure that other people, classroom teacher, you know, uh, her friends at school, like there might've been other people that might've observed these, this change in her eating habits that from that early age may have been like, okay, let's, let's retrace our steps here and find out like where this originated and what we can do about it. If there's something we can do about it, what is it? And let's do it together. Yeah. Yeah that really stuck out to me too. Um, and in our call, even before we recorded, just like, wow, that sounds like it was a really traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And then of course manifested itself in, in, in for years, not yeah. just in, not just in, um, the whole dealing with swallowing thing, but mm-hmm. then just surrounding like her relationship with food, as you just said, which, um, yeah. I think so many people can relate to, or, Maybe, I mean, I, I'll speak for myself and say, I've always had a really complicated relationship to diet and diet culture and mm-hmm. food and what's healthy and what's considered healthy. And I've never calorie counted before. And she talked a little bit about that too mm-hmm. and her eating disorder, but I definitely have had the desire to learn more about calories that I mm-hmm. wish I didn't have that in my brain, like at all. I wish that that thought didn't even enter my brain, but I know yeah. it's because of it's because of media and society and expectations for women specifically that, yeah, I think it, I think hopefully I know she's not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me too, and, um, it came up throughout was how mm-hmm. motivating and how, um, energizing even she's even said anxiety is energy. And that's, mm-hmm. that really landed for me because, 
it's like, she was using it as a tool. It's like, I don't, we're always using anxiety as like, well, we have this thing and it weighs us down and it's heavy and exhausting and awful most of the time, but it also has driven us to do a lot of scary things. And it's not the only thing that about anxiety, anxiety isn't just awful. It can be um, wielded for good and for power and empowerment. And that really, really stood out for me in our chat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does like when I experience anxiety, I feel jittery. I feel edgy. I mean, sometimes I don't, sometimes I feel like I need to lay on the floor. I do feel exhausted, but sometimes I do have that like sensations of a lot of energy and I need to put it somewhere. Right. And like in those moments, like we can either like sit in the discomfort or like turn our attention to like, okay, how can I use this as a motivating factor? And so that really stuck with me too, is like just the reframe that, that anxiety can lead to drive and to motivation. And it's not always something that just holds us back. Yes. Yeah. I think that a lot of our guests have said notes of that in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I have this thing, it's with me all the time and it it can be a detriment to times and I find it annoying and I wish it would go away. But while it can be comfortably uncomfortable or very, very familiar, it can also be powerful. Yeah. So like, and it doesn't have to be powerful just for the bad. It could be powerful for positive change. And um, yeah, Yeah. I just, uh, I loved learning more. We talked a little bit with our previous guest, Lauren Chadoff about postpartum anxiety, but Mm -hmm. I love learning more about what that is and how that differs from postpartum depression and and what that might look like and feel like for for moms out there. Yeah. Thought that was a really interesting part of the call that, I don't know. I'm enjoying learning more about. Right. Right. And, and, and the fact that there's like obvious help out there, right. Because she had learned, um, about postpartum anxiety with her first child. And so when she had her second, she was like, let me get on top of this. Right. And, and so that getting therapy helps her with the postpartum anxiety, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's that awareness piece, but she's also found something that actually helps because I mean, it sounds exhausting to, you know, count the amount of poops a day and you know, how many ounces every day. And, you know, and, and, and I know like, you know, there's a lot of information, like a kid should be doing this at this time at this age and this and this right milestones and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, can, if you have that postpartum anxiety could just be like super controlling and exhausting. And then you really miss out on being with your kid. I love too, that with keeping going with this part of our, our chat that she mm-hmm. had really, it seemed as, as though she kind of landed in her body though, right? Yeah. Like in a really positive mm-hmm. way after having her children, certainly after her first, but then sounds like definitely after she had her most recent child who's only four months old that she was just like, okay, I really know what I'm doing now. And she's been able to be more present and more connected to them because she's taken the time to learn about it, to learn about what her postpartum anxiety is. And so sometimes we've said over and over again, when we're able to label our experience Mm -hmm. or just learn about our experience, it can take away some of that heavy feeling, some of that anxiety. So I love that. Yeah. You know, another thing for me, I'm, you know, even though we didn't talk 
that much about childhood. Like it always, like when people talk about their childhood, it always like sticks with me. And there was like two parts she mentioned in her childhood. And one was like in her household, there was that constant state of worry. And for her, that was normal. Mm -hmm. And so when she went to other people's houses and it wasn't like that, that like restlessness, that like to-do list, like all that stuff that wasn't in the other family's houses, it felt like something was like off or wrong, or it was less comfortable. Um, And so, you know, part of the takeaway for me is just how what the way we act is what kids learn. You know, I mean, that's really it. It's not what we say. It's not like, cause if like the grownups are saying relax, but then the grownups are like constantly in this restless, like never ending to do state, then the kids are learning the to do state, not the relaxing. Um, yes. And then the other piece that really connected for me was also like how much kids look to grownups for answers. And so when she was in school and she like had this thing with her throat and what the school nurse said was that she was lactose intolerant, it's like, I don't know, like that just really stuck with me because like, for me, the way I interpret that is, and I know this was, you know, a bit ago and we're more hip to mental health, but like the school nurse was just dismissive. It was like, Oh, you have the sensation. You probably have this allergy, you know, and she made it into a me- like a physical medical condition. Yes. An emotional one. Yes. Yes. And like, again, it's like, I guess my takeaway is just really like finding the time to listen to people when challenges arise for them, even if it's their throat th- feels tight. Because anxiety manifests physically, but that doesn't mean that that's what needs to be, you know, looked at is the physical. Like a lot of kids communicate their anxiety with physical stuff when really what's going on is in the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another takeaway for me too was we didn't really get into it too much in our conversation. It was more in our um, pre-recorded call. Mm -hmm. She talked a lot about um, being in community and this this has Mm -hmm. come up many times with many of our guests Mm -hmm. and how talking to other mental health counselors, right. In the places that she was working and talking to her AA sponsor mm-hmm. and, um, just going and reaching out to people in her recovery community and how supportive that was to her. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make sure I hit on that because I know that, um, you know, we don't always get to every single thing that we cover in our calls in right. our interview. And I right. just thought that like, just yet another reminder that reaching out to people, people yeah. that understand people that, um, have compassion that have a great track records for listening people in the mental health field, mm-hmm. therapists, right? Like all of these things that we were constantly hearing from all of our guests can be so valuable, um, to, to helping, to helping us with our every day, right. you know, and, the bigger, it, the small, it ties into her advice that she would give herself. You're not alone, yeah. right? Like you're okay. You're not alone. And that's it. Because once we know we have community, and we speak about what's, you know, happening on the inside, we realize like other people can relate. Other people have similar experiences. We're not alone in this. Yes. So, so good. This was such a great conversation. We hope all of you warriors loved it as much as we loved having it. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, Christine, again, for being a guest with us. So warriors, 
we would love to hear from you. If mm-hmm. you want to reach out for any reason, you think you'd be an awesome fit as a guest, you have topic ideas for us, you have questions, thoughts on the podcast, we'd love to um, receive an email from you. You can hit us up at anxietywarriorspodcast at gmail.com. You can also hop over to Instagram and join our um, Instagram fam. We're at Anxiety Warriors Podcast. And if you have two seconds, which I know you do, right now, take your phone back out, head over to Apple Podcasts, smash that five-star review button, make sure that you're following and subscribe to our podcast and uh, leave us a little encouragement, some words of love, nice little review for us so we can happy cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I'm really good at doing. Um, and finally, you all know, especially if you're with our Instagram fam and if you're not, head over there and join so you can see our kick-ass merch mm-hmm. that we have available for yourself or your fellow anxiety warriors or the anxiety warriors in your life. Mm-hmm. There is just a ton of swag that you can pick up to, um, be fun in your life. Some eighties and nineties style graphics on anything from mugs to t-shirts and journals and stickers and all that good stuff. So yeah. we hope that you will, um, support our show by picking up something fun for yourself or your fellow anxiety warriors. Yeah, let them know. You. Yeah. Let him know you are an anxiety warrior. Yes. Part of a link, community. Part of a community. Exactly. That's what we want to be all the time. It's just not alone. Right. Yeah. Wise words from Christine. Yeah. Um, so that link will be in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Jump over, catch yourself something. And uh, thank you for being here. Yes. Thank you all so much for going on this journey with us. We're so grateful you're here. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>